It's Midday Magazine for Monday, June 26th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Wrangell is preparing to welcome the Hokulea, a 62-foot-long double-hulled voyaging canoe sailing around southeast Alaska in the Pacific Ocean. The trip is part of an ongoing effort by the Polynesian Voyaging Society to bring awareness to oceans, science, and indigenous wisdom. The the canoe is currently docked in Petersburg and will depart for Wrangell tomorrow. Sage Smiley attended a singing and drumming practice at Wrangell's Tribal Cultural Center and has this report. Hello, Singit teacher Juan Lane, Virginia Oliver, has wheeled an old-school transparency projector into the Wrangell Cooperative Association's cultural center downtown. Community members and Tlingit language students have been meeting at lunchtime nearly every day, making gifts like tina, copper shields, and practicing traditional songs and dances. They're preparing to greet the Polynesian Voyaging Society Hokulea Canoe on a years-long journey called Moana Nui Ikea, a journey for the earth. The tribe and community have also been meeting on Sundays to put together a welcome ceremony, and leaders from Wrangell clans have been meeting on Wednesdays to plan a cultural exchange with the Polynesian voyagers. Today, the projector is out so Oliver can show lyrics to songs the community is learning or refreshing. Some don't need a transparency slide, like the Wrangell welcome song. Or the Wrangell entrance song. Others need more practice and may even be brand new to some who are singing and drumming. Don't be worried. We're going to have time to learn it. You guys think? Yes. Yes. Okay. It starts out with... are part of Atu, sacred clan property. So, some songs are reserved to be sung by smaller groups of people. Some songs have been gifts, and they all have stories. Oliver says this song, is about the elders hearing a frog hat speak to them as they went to repatriate it from a museum down south. But they went in to get the frog hat and it spoke to the elders. They heard it. Oh. <laughs> it said something to them. And the song is about that. What did I hear? What did you hear you say? The fathers are fathers' frogs. Children, that's you guys, you wolves. You're the children of the ravens. Another song the group is preparing, Kachachguk, is a song of mourning and of celebration. It was about hunters that were blown out from study men were blown out. They went and they were blown way off and they figured they went to Polynesia because they were describing these trees. 
In Tlingit, Oliver explains Polynesian people are called octopus tentacle people. Octopus tentacle people. The Hokulea crew plans to leave Petersburg early in the morning on June 27th and paddle through the Wrangell Narrows to the tip of Wrangell Island from Petroglyph Beach, which is scattered with rock carvings thousands of years old. Then they'll travel south along the coast and into the downtown harbor and to Chief Sheikh's Island, where they'll ask for permission to land at the Cedar Clan house. A group from Wrangell plans to meet the Hokulea in their own canoe or yacht. This is their paddle song. It's going to be neat. We're getting the canoe ready right now, the big one. Sitta Khudzi, Tom Gillen, is the clan leader for the Tahkwedi, a clan of the Raven Moiety. Pressure washed yesterday, and we're going to try to get it turned over, see what it looks like on the inside and practice paddling and because uh, we don't want to get somebody in there that panics about time you get off the dock and roll it over and everybody's swimming in the ocean. Tlingit <laughs> teacher Oliver says she's honored to be chosen to help with the arrival and departure of the Hokulea. She says it's especially exciting to participate in a cultural exchange. There are many parallels between the oppression of native Hawaiians and Tlingit people. Both peoples were subject to vicious cultural and linguistic oppression at the hands of church and colonial authorities. It's so similar to talk about the boarding schools, to talk about the loss of the culture, the stolen culture, and to talk about the songs that they're going to share because they're navigating. They want to look up at the Alaskan skies, too, and see... If they can teach a little bit about stargazing and navigating. It won't be the first time Polynesian voyagers will visit Kachanak or Wrangell. Oliver remembers dancing to greet paddlers who came through in the 1990s. I was dancing in, at Shakes Island and I was dancing by a jit, Linda DeWitt, and our buttons hooked and we had to dance together through the whole thing because we were hooked. We didn't want to stop dancing, you know, and I'll never forget that. But it was such beautiful weather, though. God, I remember the weather was just beautiful. Oliver says she hopes it will be just as beautiful as Wrangell greets the Nakhtlegekwan, the Polynesian voyagers, once again. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Last year was the biggest year on record for one Dungeness crab fishery in the Bering Sea. But biologists in Unalaska aren't sure how long this crab boom will last. Sophia Stewart-Razi has the story. Last year's Dungeness crab harvest was at an all-time record high, with landings totaling nearly 3 million pounds with 16 vessels. But this year, there are more than 20 boats registered in the district. The North Peninsula District Fishery, which stretches north of Cape Sarachev in the Aleutian Islands, opened in the early 90s. And for decades, it had small harvests of Dungeness crab caught by only a few vessels. Ethan Nichols is a biologist for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game in Dutch Harbor. He says the Bering Sea fishery boomed last year and became the largest Dungeness crab fishery in the state, bringing in 35% of the state's total dungy landings. Some of the pots that we're seeing coming out of this fishery are absolutely stuffed with crab. Like You don't even know how that many crab can fit in a pot. In January, an emergency proposal was introduced to fish and game by a local Unalaska fisherman who was concerned about potentially over-harvesting the species following last year's increase in vessel participation. 
In response, Fish and Game set a pot limit per vessel for the first time in the North Peninsula District. This season, each boat is limited to 500 pots. Previously, there was no limit on the total number of pots boats could carry. The person who put this in was worried about some really big boats like coming up from down south with like 3,000 pots apiece. Nichols isn't sure if the increase in vessel count for the past couple of years is related to other crab crashes in the Bering Sea, but he thinks the explosion of the fishery could be influenced by climate change. We think it's likely that the recent warming conditions in the Bering Sea are creating conditions more favorable for Dungeness crab in general. Over the history of the fishery, we've routinely seen relatively small harvests, but it's been these recent years where harvest has really, really ramped up. Nichols says even though Dungies can exist in warmer waters, it's still unclear if the numbers will stay high in the Bering Sea. I'm hoping that as we have more years of consistent harvest in the fishery that we'll have a better idea of the the full distribution of crab in the area. And if this is just a, a fluke for a couple of seasons or if this can be really a more consistent, large Dungeness fishery. Alaska's annual Dungeness crab fishery in the North Peninsula District ends October 18th. Officials with Fish and Game say it's a slower start than last year, with around 33,000 pounds of dungies caught since May 1st. In Unalaska, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi. Governor Dunleavy's veto of $175 million in school funding will have an impact on the Sitka School District budget. But how it will shake out has yet to be determined. One bright spot for the district's finances, however, could be the addition of homeschooled students from around the state. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka. The governor announced his annual veto package on the federal Juneteenth holiday on June 19th, which did not give the Sitka district administration time to come up with a new spending plan before the school board's regular meeting on June 20th. In short, the veto amounts to a 50% decrease in the one-time boost the legislature had approved for schools statewide this coming year. Sitka, however, was a bit more cautious in writing its budget and never planned to get all that extra funding. Instead, Sitka's schools are looking at a decrease of about 20% below what was budgeted. Still, it took hours of work and worry to write a conservative budget, and board member Todd Gebler was not happy about seeing the governor shoot it down. It's still digesting with me, and um, I'm still in the anger phase as far as my emotions go, so uh, there will be more to come. The actual cash reduction for Sitka is $287,000, a significant hit to a budget that typically runs to about $20 million. What it will mean for class sizes and staffing will have to be ironed out during a budget revision later this summer. Superintendent Frank Hauser is on his way out at the end of the month, having taken the top job in the Juneau School District next year. He told board members that he and business manager Leslie Young will nevertheless start crunching new numbers right away. Uh, that'll be something that the board uh, will be um, you know, talking to and the uh, business office uh, will be putting together some of those numbers. Uh, obviously, we weren't able to get those numbers fast enough and turn around in the short amount of time we had for this meeting, but we'll be working on some updates for the board around uh, what those final numbers look like. Finalizing a new budget will fall to the board and interim superintendent Steve Bradshaw, who takes over the district on July 1st. One development that could help support the district's finances was well received by the board. The district's REACH homeschool program is now available statewide. 
Superintendent Hauser said the change had been approved by the State Department of Education and that two out-of-town students were already enrolled for next year. Hauser said it was a good way for families to remain connected to the district if they move to other communities in the state, and the boost in enrollment numbers certainly won't hurt. Being able to open up our homeschool program to provide uh, homeschool opportunities for students across the state of Alaska to provide uh, the possibility for um, additional student numbers to come in as we start having conversations about enrollment numbers. Each student enrolled in the REACH homeschool program counts as 90% of a full local enrollment, even if they live elsewhere. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Two Kodiak groups teamed up and held a town hall meeting last week to solicit public opinion about bears in the community. As Brian Venois reports, it's one of the first steps towards revising the Alaska Department of Fish and Game's policies surrounding the furry critters. Summer is finally reaching Kodiak and soon bears will be in the city too. The animals will soon be seen again around beaches and dumpsters. To promote better community behavior and revise policy, the Kodiak Unified Bears Subcommittee and the borough's Solid Waste Advisory Board teamed up to hear the public's perception of bears. Larry Van Dale is the director of the Kodiak Brown Bear Trust and serves on both committees, but previously served as the bear biologist on the island for decades. He says interactions between humans and bears are more common than they used to be. We do have more bears around here than we did, say, 20 years ago. And people are much more tolerant than they were of bears 20 years ago. But that being said, uh, there needs to be better control of garbage and human food so that bears can't have access to it. Vandale says other issues the board regularly sees includes getting too close to bears or crowding areas after one is spotted and shared on social media. He says it's common for folks to block roads to get better views of ursines around the archipelago. The meeting was attended by Fish and Game staff as well as people in waste management as they heard what the community wants and expects. We had a variety of public members from folks that literally wanted to make this a no-bear zone and kill every bear that comes near town to other people that felt it very important that we find ways to live with bears because they were here first. The Kodiak Unified Bear Subcommittee is under the Kodiak's Fish and Game Advisory Committee. Vandale says this weekend's discussions will inform reports as they head up to the Board of Game and could eventually affect the Kodiak Archipelago Bear Management and Conservation Plan. That plan is what they call a living document. It wasn't meant to be written and put on a shelf. It was meant to evolve. So we're going to look at that plan and say, how best should we manage bears around the town? And after we evaluate that internally, then we'll go out for another public meeting or series of public meetings. Vandale says the best practice for now is to make sure trash is properly stored until pickup, avoid blocking roads when viewing bears, and to maintain healthy distances from wildlife when possible. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venois. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.